Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Aidan Moon as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, provide you with some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures, episode 30, A Hopeful Return. I'm Vicar Aiden Moon, the vicar here at Zion Lutheran Church. I'm joined today by our new vicar who will be replacing me in the, by the time this episode is out, I will be well on my way back to Colorado and then seminary and uh, vicar Jason Kahn will have taken over. So uh, why don't you just introduce yourself and tell us just briefly a little bit about yourself. If people want to get your fuller story, they can go back and listen to our Meet the Vicar podcast from a little while ago. Um, But just briefly tell us a little bit about um, who you are. Sure. Well, I'm the new vicar here, Jason Com, and it's so great to actually be here in person now, and I've gotten to meet a couple of you, and I'm really excited to be beginning my time here. Um, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and I've gone to Lutheran schools my entire life, so Lutheran grade school, Lutheran high school, then Concordia Chicago for college, where I studied English and also decided to be a pastor. And as uh, Vicar Moon said, you can hear more about that story in the Meet the Vicar uh-huh. episode that we did. It's uh, kind of fun. And then um, just finished up my second year of seminary really a couple weeks ago, and we're hitting the ground running here at Vicarage right away. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you here. It's, yeah, like you said, good to have you in person on the ground, not just uh, virtually conversing. So it's good to chat. Well, today we're going to reflect a little bit on especially the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. This week's readings will also finish up the book of Ezekiel, but we've uh, done that justice, I think, in last week's podcast and the week before. So we'll go ahead and dig into the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Just as we finish up Ezekiel, just remember it's a lot of that imagery of the temple, Garden of Eden kind of imagery, connecting those themes of God's presence and the return, especially as God's presence had left the temple. Um, And that's how we're coming to the end of Ezekiel. As we dig into Ezra and Nehemiah, we're really entering a new segment of historical books. So we've been in the prophets. We're going to take a break from prophets um, for a little bit, and we'll be in some more of our historical books. So our last time in the history was the end of Kings. So we had this exile, um, the people went into exile and the prophets we've been reading, been a lot of conversation about the exile, um, both this kind of pre-exile looking forward to the exile stuff. And then we had uh, the prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel who actually were living in the midst of that experience. And so now we're going to do a little bit more of that history. And the next two episodes, this one and the next one, will both deal with some of these historical books, um, some more narrative. And so it is really interesting, but you'll start to see that the post-exile people of God look a little different than the pre-exile people of God. Uh, There was a note made by Pastor Marcus on a past episode that after the exile, the issue of paganism really changes. The worship of other gods is a really different dynamic, which then really sets up a lot of what we're going to read in the New Testament. So uh, this post-exile period is really important to understand because there will be a big span of sort of silent time where we don't have any any scripture or prophets that will happen um, before the arrival of Christ. But this is setting a lot of groundwork, and we'll mention that a little later, but this is setting a lot of groundwork for what will um, be the setting of the New Testament and of the world of Jesus. So 
one of the big things that we we talk about with Ezra and Nehemiah is is it two books or one book? Um, there, in in some ancient tradition, this is actually seen as one book, Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, could be that some editors linked them together along the way due to shared themes. It's really impossible to tell one way or the other. Um, we have examples of both as far as how they're grouped in the in ancient manuscripts. So that said, studying them together is worthwhile because they're dealing with similar themes and covering a similar span of time. They're both our best picture of life and the process and issues and questions that were happening in Jerusalem in that post-exile period. So the next idea that we're going to dig into is really what this is about. So we have really these images of two different main characters, and there's a few others, but Ezra and Nehemiah are two main characters. That's the names of the books, so it's pretty straightforward. And uh, there's some big building projects, but there's themes underlying these building projects. So we'll see the building of the temple, the uh, reform that comes after that, and then we'll see, especially in Nehemiah, the building of the wall, the protection and safety of God's people back in Jerusalem again. And uh, so that's one aspect of it. There's also these kind of interesting changes between the first and the third person. So just keep your eye out for that. And uh, one other note is that the parts of Ezra and the two parts of Ezra, so chapters one to six and seven to 10, and then the book of Nehemiah parallel one another in a way, because you have a Persian king, sends a leader to Jerusalem, there's some opposition, and then there's this sort of weird anticlimax. Like it's not quite as awesome and great and hopeful as you might hope. Um, It's a little, little goofy. So that's kind of the big picture of the books. And so we'll go into a little bit more of the details and structure. So first, Ezra, Ezra 1 through 6. Well, we begin with a focus on Zerubbabel. He's a direct descendant of King David through King Jehoiakim. I did not rehearse that name pronunciation beforehand, but we're going to go with that. He was one of the it's last. All right. it's thank all you. Right. Thank you. <laughs> he was one of the last kings of Judah, and he actually became the governor of Jerusalem under Persia. And so we're, uh, he's one of the main characters of the beginning of Ezra. And there's this focus on returning the exiles to become a worshiping community of the Lord again in Jerusalem. But the problem is there's no temple, and there needs to be a temple. Uh, the that sign of God's presence among his people in order to be worshipped. That's how it was laid out earlier before their exile. And so they're trying to rebuild that part of their lives again to give God the honor and respect he deserves in that very physical way. And so the construction of the temple begins, but it's not an entirely smooth process. They didn't just get their building permit and just build it in one go. It wasn't quite that easy. (laughs) They had to overcome some opposition. Um, they've got some adversaries that would be known as the Samaritans. You probably recognize that name from the New Testament. Um, you are, may be familiar with that the Samaritans and the Jews kind of have a rough history uh, by the time Jesus is born. But we'll probably learn more about that in some later episodes. Yeah, so absolutely. Stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good connection to make because I think sometimes there's this sort of weird thing like, yeah, Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. And when you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, you see, oh, we have these people that were already living in the land um, when the Jews return and they make life really difficult for them. And they introduce all these kind of, uh, well, we'll talk about the word syncretism, which is that idea of kind of incorporating false religious belief into with true and trying to kind of mesh them together in a sort of arbitrary way. Um, there was a lot of that going on with the Samaritans. And so for the sake of purity, really, they're trying to maintain purity in their worship as they return. Cause obviously 
what messed things up in the first place? Why did they go into exile? Well, a lot of idolatry. So they're trying to not let that happen again. And you have these Samaritans that are really making that very difficult. Right. And Jesus is hanging out with these people. Yep. And that's raising questions like, wait a minute, what what is Jesus really up to here? Yeah. What's, he, uh-huh. what's he doing? So we'll definitely talk more about that later. But there is some more context to the Samaritans that's not just, oh, these people didn't like each other because of, I don't know, weird reasons. Yeah. Well, that's that's an important, you know, a lot of these things that we're reading in the Old Testament are laying some really important groundwork. So the next section, there's a huge time jump. And this is where we're actually introduced to the character of Ezra. So we could see one to six as sort of a historical review. So we're giving kind of a, a background. And then Ezra's memoirs start in chapter seven. And he is sent by King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. Yeah, there we go. We're doing really great on pronunciation Artaxerxes. Today. Cool. Um, All right. Now I've got it down. Yeah, that's good. He's sent by Artaxerxes I, and this is 50 years later. So we're going to talk about the book of Esther next time. The book of Esther took place during this space in between Zerubbabel and Ezra. So that section in the middle there is when Esther happened back in Persia. But so Ezra was probably around, which is kind of interesting to think about. Um, Ezra's mission then is more about then reforming the worship life. So they built their temple, but things are kind of iffy. Um, there's It's not exactly as it should be. So he goes about reforming the worship of the people. The chapters eight through 10, he actually goes about doing that. And then there's this conversation about intermarriage. And we can talk a little bit more about that theme a little later, but that's how the book of Ezra ends is dealing with this, this issue of intermarriage that's related to the Samaritans as well. And then we get into the next section, which is the book of Nehemiah. I think it's also worth noting before I move on to Nehemiah, that the construction of the temple it was different for the people of Israel because it just wasn't as grand as what they were used to. And so um, when some people saw the temple constructed, they were joyful. Hey, God's back among us. This is great. But the people that remember what the old temple used to be like, uh-huh. they were a little upset. Yep. Um, not There's because- a huge theme of disappointment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't the same. It wasn't what they were used to. Yep. It'd be kind of like going home after a vacation. Well, maybe not a vacation, but it'd be like going home to find an apartment there instead of like your actual house that you're used to. Yeah. Maybe something a little like that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I think there's a, the experience that many people have of, you know, leaving home as, as a teenager going off to college and then you get back and your parents like remodeled your room and turned it into something else. Or now you know? it's your sibling's room. Yeah. Yeah. That's or, or, they, right. or it's a TV room or, you know, they've moved their workout equipment in or they've knocked out a wall and now, you know, yeah. Right. Right. It's, there's a sense of like, this isn't the way I remember it. This mm-hmm. isn't how it's supposed to be. And uh, there's, there's some of that going on with the temple here at the end of Ezra. And so that context, then we're getting into, it's, it's, again, these books are a picture of this great hope, this wonderful return, but then also kind of a lot of disappointment. Yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah, it's just not, not what it should be. And so when Nehemiah kicks off, we get Nehemiah's memoir. So this is the picture of, of Nehemiah's work in ministry. And he's focusing on something a little bit different. He specifically is the cupbearer of a different Artaxerxes. And he is like, if you're the cupbearer of a king, you're extremely trusted. Like you're in the very inner circle because you're making sure he doesn't get poisoned. You're the last line of defense there. So uh, that's that's pretty significant. And so he requests to, to the king of Persia that he would go and build the wall of Jerusalem because his people are very exposed and unsafe in a fairly hostile environment. So then he goes about doing that mission, going 
to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. So during his time, as he's doing this, there we're thinking of, so we've had the worship life of the people in Ezra, and now we're dealing with this theme of the sort of physical safety of this community, this returned community. And again, there's a lot of opposition. Um, there's even an assassination plot. There's all kinds of intrigue going on. And finally, the wall is finished, and it's this great thing. That's the end of that that section in in uh, chapter six. And then the the rest of the book of Nehemiah is then sort of providing for that city. So you've you've built the wall. We're safe. We've got the temple. We're at we're a worshiping community, and now we're going to repopulate the city, provide for the city, and there's going to be public reading of the Torah, which is a great sign of reform. We've actually like we're returning to our the groundwork, the basics of our story as a people. There's a lot of the big day of confession. So um, there is a lot of great things happening. It is very good. There is a lot of hope, um, but still that kind of lingering disappointment that you talked about. Right. Yeah. And what would be interesting for us all to take a look at in Nehemiah, if you read through chapters eight and nine, that's how their worship service was essentially structured, the public reading of the Torah. So it might be beneficial to think of how we do worship here today and see what elements from this post-exilic people of Israel, because there are still things that bleed over into today's worship services, like the service of confession. That's one of the first things we start out with every Sunday. And so it's cool to see how God's people have carried on those traditions even after the exile thousands of years later. We sometimes think that like our worship practices just sort of arbitrarily dropped out of the sky in some sort of perfect form, but there's incre- there's a lot of organic movement throughout the history of the church. We talked about this in terms of like Leviticus too, like all the different themes of books like Leviticus, which is really a worship book. It's what it's about. Um, so we've talked about that before. And so this gives us a new a new era of what that's starting to look like. And the reading of the Torah becomes absolutely central. Um, there's People have noted that it, it, there's this move that happens after the return from exile, that the written scroll of the Torah becomes absolutely essential. It's less like the the written book is kind of less important in a way. Like the word is obviously very important. What it's about is very important. But like actually having this scroll that you bring out and read is not as big of a part of the uh, life of the people until after this exile period when when they really need uh, a solid record to be able to say this is this is the center point of our life. So we have some big themes. Um, that's that we've kind of looked over the whole outline, but there's some big themes. Like you mentioned, the temple's not really that great. It's sort of a shadow of its former self. The people are really trying to get it right this time because they had this great glorious temple before and yet everything was falling apart and they lost everything in the exile. Uh, there's a lot of prayer that goes on. Uh, you mentioned confession. There's a lot of a lot of repentance going on saying, hey, we really don't want to go into exile again, so we should get right with God. <laughs> right. We should probably repent of our yeah. ways and change. Yeah. And uh, they've learned. It's it's interesting. That doesn't seem to happen very often in the no. Old Testament. They don't usually learn, but the people <laughs> these the re- people returning from exile have, have really, really good intentions at the very least. And then, like we said, this public reading of the Torah is absolutely foundational. There's a really heavy emphasis on it. And then there's this theme of marriage, and this is kind of goofy, and there's people that struggle with this section because uh, Ezra really goes pretty hard against this issue of intermarriage, which probably 
I don't know. It seems insensitive. It seems contradictory with other places in scripture. It seems kind of difficult. Um, I'll put you on the spot. What do you think? Any any initial thoughts on this intermarriage controversy? Oh, man. Well, uh, my initial thought was I was looking over Ezra last night, and I noticed his response was he tore his clothes and immediately got down on his knees and started to beg God for mercy and to say that we're in over our heads here yeah. with iniquity. So this this was a big deal. Um, but other than that, no, that's, that's all the... Well, I think the idea of we're in over our heads with iniquity, that's a good way to say it, because I think that's really what this section is about. Um, because we're looking at, okay, doesn't God hate divorce? Like that's also in scripture, you know, that's why would Ezra command them to get divorced if divorce is so bad? Um, isn't that adultery according to Jesus? Like, (laughs) you know, so we're, we're really, we're going to struggle with that. It's a lot of moving parts We're breaking the sixth commandment now. Uh, but we're also seeing that there's a... There's a major first commandment issue here. And this is a theme throughout the Old Testament that when men start to go out and get distracted and seek after pagan women for their wives, it rarely goes well because it almost always, the their wives' religious practices almost always shape theirs. Right. And so the men will adopt their wives' gods, which is a big no-no. Well, we saw how bad that was with Solomon. Right. I mean, that's what split the kingdom apart was just this this deterioration of unity by Solomon bringing all of these women in and building them temples and all this stuff. And this has happened over and over again. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel. I mean, there's another example of a king that right. did this. So the it's a, it's a really not a good thing. Uh, but the important thing to realize is both options are bad. So that's why I like what you said in, in over our heads. There's places where you get to a point where the sin is so pervasive that you actually have no good options. Right. Um, there's not a justified moral option in this case, no, no matter what you're breaking a commandment. And so uh, Ezra is given the situation, interpreting the, this as best he can, and also saying uh, he he's prioritizing the first commandment about God's central um, rule over his people and the fact that they are to worship no other gods. And he's he is giving that preference over the sixth commandment, but let's not like, kind of turn this into, well, then it's justified. It's not, it's still bad, Mm -hmm. but there's no good options here other than fall on your knees and repent. And I do think that there's some good application for us in that, in that there's often in life, no good choices. You're left with two bad options and you're going to sin either way. Like it's legitimately sin. And the right response there is not to try to wiggle out from under responsibility somehow, but to do exactly what Ezra does and fall to your knees and repent. Right, to own up to it, to say, I screwed up. I'm in over my head here. Yep. There's no best option forward. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and there's one one uh, reflection from the book, Prepare the Way of the Lord, as it reflects on uh, this, this section is, the lesson of Ezra and Nehemiah is not to choose one command over the other, Instead, it is to live one's life in such a way as to avoid such unfortunate situations in the first place. So there's that too. Right. Um, but regardless, life puts us in situations at times where we don't have any good options. And Ezra, coming in from the outside as sort of, a, well, we could almost think of him as a pastor for the people, is now given this really bad set of choices. Um, yes. And, and uh, I think that uh, a lot of pastors, if they've been in ministry for a little while, understand when you get put in a position where you have a pastoral care issue and people expect you to give them advice and there's not any good choices because it's just bad all around. (laughs) Yes. I forget which pastor told me this, but a number of years ago, I heard someone say that you don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble. 
And that's, that's a good way to live. Instead of getting out of trouble all the time, just avoid it to begin with in the first place. Yep. So there is there is a lesson there. And uh, there's also the, the faithfulness of God, regardless of his people's faithlessness, that even when we end up in horrible situations, God continues to remain faithful. His promises are still sure, even when we're fickle and all over the place. Um, so... That is, I mean, it's it's messy. Life is messy. Life as a community is especially messy. Uh, but and so that that's where you know really that's about not getting mixed up with the paganism that was the Samaritans were all mixed up with. So those that's really really significant part of Ezra. And then Nehemiah deals with a lot of the same themes. It deals with that same idea of the importance of scripture and the reading of scripture, and then especially of the new city of Jerusalem. Um, as we're thinking about that. And this will kind of bring us to a close. These these texts of Ezra and Nehemiah do give us a partial fulfillment of a lot of the stuff we've read earlier in our prophets. Like there is a renewed Jerusalem, but it's pretty obvious if you go back and read, say, Isaiah, that this is not what they were hoping for. <laughs> um, if you read the earlier prophets, this is a new restored city, but it's not exactly the picture that had been painted by the prophets. And so there's a great deal of disappointment, as we've said, but it's only really a shadow of its former self. And so uh, there's still some anticipation that has they have to wait for. Even more than that, they are, they're home, but they're not free because Jerusalem is still under Persian rule, even though Persia is pretty good to them all things considered. Um, and uh, the book of Isaiah even compares King Cyrus to a Messiah figure, which is kind of wild. Um, so Persia is is pretty good to the people of Israel, but they're still under foreign domination. And they will be most of the time until Jerusalem is destroyed again. There will almost always, not the whole time, but almost always until about AD 60, they will be under this some kind of foreign rule. The Greeks, the Romans, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of foreign empires, and so they're still not free, and so it's sort of an awkward position. There is a return. There's a lot of hope, but it's not exactly uh, what they want it to be. And like we said about the Samaritans, I think that these books help to make some sense out of why people like the Pharisees were so worried about purity. We kind of like to talk bad about them, like give them a hard hard time, like, oh, yeah. Like, Pharisee is like a synonym for like the people that we think are too self-righteous. Um, but... And and Jesus is hard on them. Like, don't get me wrong. Especially in Matthew. Yeah. We'll cover that later. Yeah. Matthew does not like the uh, Pharisees at all. Yeah. The, the, the Pharisees are like serious enemies of Jesus, but it's kind of understandable. They've, they've misunderstood things for sure, but it's understandable if you've had this exile and you feel like we really don't want that to happen again. So we got to put some extra barriers up to keep us safe from going down. Uh, we need to stay out of trouble. Yes. So that's the Pharisees' concern that's with right. all of their extra rules is staying out of we're trouble. We're staying out of trouble by fulfilling everything, yep. crossing every T, dotting every I, and we're not going to mess things up again. So, and even their, even the feelings of like, uh, yeah, towards the Samaritans or other outsiders is the same kind of thing. It makes some more sense. Um, so Ezra and Nehemiah are... are they're kind of shorter and less known books, but they're important for us in understanding understanding the New Testament. And then last, we we see even though God does not speak in the way we often see in prophetic books, in this, these books, God is clearly present in the sense that he is active in the political realm too. Um, 
which he says in the prophets. So the prophets interpret that for us, but he's doing things behind the scenes and his grace is really what allows for Persian leaders to be sympathetic to the Judeans at all. So um, that's really why they're able to return anyway. So there is, that. that's sort of our, our big picture. And I, I do think, I mean, there's a lot of hope. There's some interesting things to learn, but recognizing that the return from, from exile is kind of disappointing uh, is pretty helpful for us as we as we read them. Well, thank you again for joining us on our Trek Through the Scriptures this week. It has been, as usual, good to talk at you a little bit and reflect on these uh, sections of Ezra and Nehemiah especially. We'll come back again next week as we talk about Nehemiah, Esther, and Daniel, get some more stories, maybe some familiar ones, so that might be kind of fun. And uh, it'll be it'll be good as we continue our journey. And we pray that God's blessings would go with you as you read, that you would be able to learn more, to get a sense of God's movement and grace throughout history and how he continues to work as we continue our trek through the scriptures. God bless your reading this week. Thank you for joining us on our Trek Through the Scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Join me now in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, giver and perfecter of our faith, We thank and praise you for the gift of your holy scriptures, for our instruction and edification. Send your blessing upon your word and by the Holy Spirit increase our saving knowledge of you, that day by day we may be strengthened in divine truth and remain steadfast in your grace. Give us strength to fight the good fight and by faith to overcome all the temptations of Satan, the flesh, and the world, so that we may finally receive the salvation of our souls. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week as we continue our exploration of God's story as it points us ever towards the good news of Jesus Christ. Have a great week.